Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, y'all? This is Classified. This is Mocha Only. This is Sean Price. Yeah, Ghostface Killer. This is Quake Matthews. What's up, I'm Brother Ali. Fight Diggy, Tribe Call Quest. Eloquent, man. What up, Styles P the Ghost. This is Ab Soul. This is K.O. And you listening to the Come Up Show, where that feel-good music lives. This is the show that you come up on, yeah. This is the spot that you come up strong, yeah. What's going on? Welcome to the Come Up Show podcast. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Martin Bauman. And today I'm talking to one of the highest regarded lyricists of all time. He also happens to be one of my favorite MCs. He started off his career with a bang back in 98 with the classic Black Star album with Most Def. From there came another classic collaboration with High Tech as Reflection Eternal. Since then, he's worked with everyone from Jay-Z to Kanye West to Rakim and always held his own. Now he's back once again with Gravitas, his latest album, sounding more personal than ever. That's right, today I'm talking to Talib Kweli. I caught up with Kweli after coming off tour in Australia. We talk about his latest album, the importance of honesty in music, our responsibility to the world, and lots more. Take a listen. I like to begin by looking at seminal musical influences for different artists, things that really made an impact early on. So with that in mind, what significance does John Coltrane's A Love Supreme have to you? Um, it's probably my favorite piece of music. Um, you know, it was something that was sort of wafting through my house when I was growing up. And my father, my father was a fan of it, my grandfather. Uh, my mother's father was a huge fan of it. Um, and it came back into my life when Spike Lee came out with Mo Better Blues. It was sort of the core poem for that film. Um, that film was filmed in my neighborhood. Um, I was a huge Spike Lee fan at the time. I was you know, getting into jazz music at the time it came out. So it was just with Love Supreme being sort of like the chorus for that movie, um, and it being a song, uh, album that I grew up listening to, it just became something that was reminding me of self. As far as hip-hop goes, I understand this one's a special for you. Tell me about Eric B. and Rakim's Follow the Leader. Yeah, you know, Follow the Leader, you know, is, I think the best, um, contains, you know, probably the best verse ever done in hip-hop. Um, you know, that is a, that, what Rakim did on that record sort of inspired me to go go beyond what I could do, you know, um, and go beyond, try to uh, go beyond just what's, what, uh, what the trend is and try to create something new, poetically. When I first came out, there was a prerequisite for being, when I, not for when I first came out, when I first started listening to hip-hop, the prerequisite for being a great MC was you had to have content. You know, you had that style, you had to have you know, street credibility, you had to be down by law, but you had to have content. You know, Big Daddy Kane and Rakim, they were known for records that were party records, but, you know, the lyrics, it was the 5% influence, you know, it was like, it was it was a very cultural thing that was worked there, that was prevalent for a long time. Somewhat beats, they just, this lasted all the way up until Tupac, really until Biggie. Biggie was the first MC who didn't have cultural, like, positive, positively cultural content um, besides his honest observations, that was considered the best. You know, it, it didn't exist before Biggie like that. It was it was it was artists like Rakim. Rakim was the, was the standard bearer, bearer for that type of thing. He was the best at it. I want to spin off of that title of "Follow the Leader." Who have been some of the key leaders and role models in your lifetime? Um, my parents first and foremost, um, but beyond my parents, you know, certainly musical heroes. There, there's too many songs or pieces of music for me to name and say, oh, these are my favorite songs or whatever. But, you know, I'm inspired by so many different things, but 
there are artists like Curtis Mayfield, Nina Simone, Aretha Franklin, Bob Marley, Marvin Gaye, John Coltrane, who, who come back up as constant reference points for me artistically. Now, I know you grew up wanting to be a baseball player. What about another direction, someone like Jackie Robinson? Jackie Robinson was influential inspiration to me, not so much as a ball player, but as a cultural icon. You know, I'm from a different generation as a ball player. Um, you know, when I got into baseball, by the time I came around, it was fully integrated. So my heroes were, you know, Dave Winfield. I was a Yankee fan. So it was like, it was locals. It was like Dave Winfield and really, really Randolph. But it was also Don Mattingly and Ron Kittry. You know, it wasn't really a color thing. I guess I'm looking at Jackie more for breaking the color barrier than I am for his sports achievements. Yeah, yeah, he becomes, he becomes more of a historical figure than, you know, like a sports hero. Let's talk about your latest album, Gravitas. I want to start with a quote of Neil Gaiman's, which really suits the way you've opted to release this album. He says, The nature of distribution is changing, which is on the one hand intimidating, and on the other immensely liberating. Nobody knows what the new rules are, so make up your own rules. Tell me about your take on this. Um, well, you know, I think Neil Gaiman was it was exactly on point, especially with the uh, part of about, about it being scary. It's scary to go out on your own. It's like being uh, in the wild, wild west. You know, it's like being in outer space. You know, it's like it's the you know the, the final frontiers of Star Trek. Shit. It's like um, we're exploring new ways to do this all, and but that's also the, the drive. The drive behind it, the the unknown is what part of what drives me. I'm excited about. Not knowing, you know, it just sounds weird, but I'm excited about not knowing where the next dollar is coming from because I'm excited about discovering that possibility. But in a way, this is new territory for you as far as releasing an album. I mean, going the direct-to-fan route is something you've never done before. No, it's something I've never done before, but I do have a bit of a cushion. You know, I don't, I don't, this is not something a new artist can do. Um, I have a fan, I have an active fan base that I can stoke and, and continue to cultivate. Um, and I also have uh, relationships where, you know, it's not going to be forever, but at least for the next couple of years, I could still do deals with people, you know. There, there are still there are record labels and companies that will still get in business with me. I, this is not something I have to do. It's something I'm choosing to do at this stage. But hopefully I'll get to the point where it becomes the clear option every time. As far as the model you've opted to go with, uh, using QualityClub.com exclusively, do you have any idea of how successful it's been so far? Um, it's been a slow burn. It's a good metaphor for my career. There's a lot of people who don't, don't know about the album. And even amongst my fans who do have, who may have heard I have a new album, they're so acclimated to, to uh, just going on iTunes, you know, that it's like it, it becomes a whole different mentality you have to have to even go buy my album. So it's not an easy thing for the average fan to do. That's why it's really, you you got to just be really a true fan to really have got this album by now. That's why I really, truly appreciate every true, every fan that's got this album. And, and I have their email, so I can email them and thank them. And that's really the biggest part of it. Recently, De La Soul did something a little different. Uh, you've mentioned the, them before as your favorite group. Now, on Valentine's Day, they offered almost their entire catalog for free. I guess that's a different way of getting people's emails. They collect emails when they did that? Oh, they must have, because there's a submission process to get the music. Yeah, that's, that's super. So you know what? You know what's funny? I'm going to do the same thing. <laughs> I'm doing the same thing. So my question then is, where do you draw the line between giving people access to music and making sure you're still earning a living? Well, I mean, in, in Daylock's case, you got to understand, that the same, they, they, put out, they gave out seven albums for free. I'm, you know, those albums are albums that they weren't selling on iTunes because of a bunch of legal issues. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's like, um, it's for, for the daylight on that situation, it's a, it's a win-win. They weren't making money on those albums anyway. They might as well get the emails, you know? And so with me, 
it's a little bit more precarious. It's, it's definitely a situation where it's like, you know, I'm sacrificing reaching a large number of my fans to be able to collect the emails of specific niche fans. You know what I'm saying? So the hope is that the dedicated fans will be more beneficial to hang on to than to have a wider fan base that may not be as committed to actually buying the music. Right. At the end of the day, I think Gravitas is going to end up on iTunes at some point. But I want to collect as many emails as I can before I sell it through that platform. You know, iTunes is killing the game. There are 99, upwards of 90% of people who buy music buy from there. So it's not something you can ignore. Um, but, you know, I, I, that's why this is an experiment. Because, and, and you know, and so far it's, it's a slow it's slow growth, it's a slow burn. But I think at the end of the day, when I have a certain amount of emails, it's going to be worth it. When I put out something else and I can just email a few thousand people directly, that's a few thousand automatic sales that I don't have to spend money marketing to. Let's get back to the actual music of the album. One of the things I love about this album is that it features production from two Canadians, Lord Quest and Rich Kid. Uh, Lord Quest producing Demonology and State of Grace and Rich Kid producing What's Real. Uh, tell me about how you came across their music and connected with each of them. Um, Rich Kid I've known for years. Um, just me me being an artist that gets booked in Toronto. His name has been bubbling up. He's somebody who I always get paired to do shows with. Um, and he's just a good guy, great producer, great MC, great artist all around. Um, Lord Quest is somebody I didn't know anything about. A friend of mine, Tungy, uh, Ballad Gould from Los Angeles, is somebody who I trust musically and he gives me a lot of advice and puts me up on a lot of new artists he told me about Lord Quest I like the sound I got in touch with him he came over to Crib came over to the studio and we, we chopped it up on a, on a bunch of different things you opened the album with Inner Monologue which samples part of Neil Gaiman's commencement speech and he says when things get tough this is what you should do make good art and I connect that to a line on Demonology where you say my wife says I got demons I've yet to deal with do you think all art comes from a place of struggle? Uh, no, I don't think all art comes from a place of struggle, but I do think that, you know, some of the best art historically had. I think somebody very privileged and entitled can also make great art. But as far as the Neil Gaiman quote goes, then, uh, what sticks out about that to you? No, I do think the Neil Gaiman quote, I don't think that, 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 uh, contradicts the Neil Gaiman quote. I think the Neil Gaiman quote holds true. Um, you know, I think that that's historically where your, your, your best and most honest art comes from. It comes from struggle, it comes from uncertainty, it comes from conflict. Let's talk about another song, State of Grace. Uh, something you say on there is that if you ain't using all the talents God provided you with for the better room a man, understand you and nothing but a waste. Uh, tell me about this line. Um, I believe, and well, I know, it's more than I believe that, you know, that we're put here as human beings uh, to seek knowledge, right? We spend our whole life trying to learn things and trying to process knowledge. I think that's, a, that's, our, that's our job. And we're, we're given certain gifts. Everyone's gifts are different. If you're not using your gifts, that you're, that you're, then you're not living up to your potential. You're not, you're not fulfilling your purpose here on earth. And I think it's our job to, um, to find that gift. And, you know, me being someone who knows God, you know, I believe in God. Like, I'm not an atheist or anything like that, you know. I, I you know, I, for me, what, what my thing is, if you're not using those gifts, it's kind of disrespectful to where you come from, to your creation. You know, I, I'm not talking some guy in the sky with a fear judging us, but I'm talking about that thing that connects all of us as living organisms. Whatever you call that, whatever that is, that's what I believe that God is. And I believe that you're being disrespectful to that by not fulfilling your true purpose. You know, that reminds me of something you brought up on the AMA you did on Reddit a couple months ago. There was one answer of yours that really stuck out to me. Someone had asked, how does God and religion influence your art? To which you answered, religion not at all, God completely. Can you dig into that? 
Um, yeah, you know, religion is, is religion is dangerous. It can be. Religion can be very inspirational, and very uplifting, uh, but it also can be very dangerous. It's proven to be both through history. Um, and I think recognizing the differences and when it's when it's inspirational and when it's dangerous uh, is is integral to our survival as people. So there's a clear difference then between religion on one hand and spirituality on the other. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Definitely, without it, you know, definitely without a doubt. Um, there's a difference between religious and spiritual. I, like, um, it's funny. Is well, I watched this this movie today. Are you familiar with T.D. Jakes? Uh, no, actually, I'm not. T.D. Jakes is a um, he's a pastor, a well-known black pastor. He has a couple best-selling books called uh, "The Woman Thou Art Loose." what he's been doing recently is he's been making movies out of those books and you know it's like all black cast but he gets actors like this like the one I was watching has Blair Underwood in it you know it's like and actors who are really known are super Christian you know but he he, he, he wasn't scared to um one of the characters was a was a religious zealot in this movie like the villain was a guy who was sacrificing little kids because he felt like the world was going to shit you know he was sacrificing to his lord I thought it was interesting that a, a religious guy could could have a character that that would invite criticisms of religion in that in his movie. You know, that you know, I, I thought that was I just thought that was interesting that, that we're moving out of place in society where we're um you know we're seeing that conversation happen in the mainstream. We're seeing the conversation of atheism and agnostics happening in the mainstream, and these are things that are being discussed, and these ideas are being challenged in it intellectual way, you know, God or science, I think, I'm, I'm excited about the debates that are happening about, between science and religion, or science and spirituality, because I don't think there's any debate between science and religion, but science and spirituality, I think, are in search of the same things. Right, and this has actually been a really big topic recently, with Bill Nye speaking out on it, and others as well. You know, it's, it's interesting to think that you could be of the school of thought where both science and spirituality can coexist, and they don't have to be polar opposites or mutually exclusive. Which is interesting about that, that creationism versus, uh, uh, you know, versus evolution is such a limited subject matter because, you know, creationism is just one small part of Christianity. You know, like, I'm not a Christian. Um, I believe in God, but I don't believe in creationism. You know, mm-hmm. like, I think Ken Ham, these religious folks get caught up in thinking that People are saying that you can't believe in God and and trust science. You know that somehow that somehow people are suggesting that that's not accurate. And there are those who suggest the hardcore atheists do say that, yeah, but I don't think that's what Bill Nye was saying. I think Deepak Chopra is probably the best representation of someone. Him, but Deepak Chopra, Paulo Coelho, you know, these are spiritual guys who are also who also understand science. You know, and understand how to discuss spirituality without it seeming like myth or you know, no, like incredible, unbelievable stories. Have you read The Alchemist before? It's one of my favorite books ever. You know, it's a fiction story that it tells the story of life, and it, it's like it becomes, it can, it's out, the, the alchemist can be like a blueprint. It's like, it, it's like the, it's like the, um, the real version of what the Celestine Prophecy was supposed to be. Can you explain that a little bit? Celestine Prophecy was a really popular book. They even made a movie about it, which it's, it, you know, it's, 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 the premise is, is that, Someone went and found an ancient Mayan manuscript, and this manuscript gives you keys to life. So it's fiction, but it's spiritual fiction in the same sense that the alchemist is, you know? It's like it tells a story, but you're learning so much from the story, but it's just like a more mainstream version of the alchemist. 
I want to get back to another song off Gravitas, and this is something that you reminded me of earlier when you were talking about having the obligation to society to use the gifts you were born with. Uh, in your song, New Leaders, you rap, got enough followers, I'm looking for some new leaders. Do you feel as though there's an obligation of being a recording artist and having the potential to reach millions of people with what you say uh, to be a leader or be a role model? No, I don't. Um, but I do feel like that's my obligation as a man, as a human being, as a father, as a, as a, as a black man in my neighborhood, in my community. And I've arrived at that conclusion through my experience in life. That's not something that is innate or that's not something that I you know, automatically know. You have, to, you have to go through some things to learn that. Um, and so my obligation as an artist is just to be honest with my craft. That's it. I read a roundtable discussion recently, and this is something that took place a number of years ago, uh, but it was a roundtable with yourself, Dave Chappelle, Common, Kanye West, and Dead Prez as well. Uh, and part of what you said in State of Grace reminds me of part of that discussion. You were talking about making music a certain way, not because it'll sound good or make money, but because you need to make that particular song uh, with that message. Uh, for Kanye, uh, in the article, that song was Jesus Walks. Can you elaborate on that thought a little bit? Yeah, I think that, that responsibility, when, 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 when Kanye West made Jesus Walks, like I had to make it, it's because he, that was something that he got from his family, his upbringing, his mom. Like, you know, it wasn't like, he, he didn't make it because he, thinks, he was thinking, I need to make Jesus turn up in the clubs. You know, it was like, yo, this is something that I, I have to, I have to do. I have records like that. You don't do that with every record, you know, because I get so nutty. But there's records I got, like Lonely People and Spy and Ballad of Black Gold, where I'm just like, you know, yeah, I, I had to. It, I was like, yeah, there needs to be a record about this. Just chills. It's probably the best example of a record that I'm like, this is a record that needs to be made. And why was that? Um, I was watching the PT Awards, and I wrote the full ship and gone for a while, and everyone was excited about Lauren Hill performing, but she wanted to, like, play guitar or read a poem or something. And I, I remember being at the BT Awards, and there was a lot of drama about people being upset because Lauren didn't want to perform the Fuji song. And it just, it hit me that people can be very selfish and entitled. It's like, here's somebody who's given us their blood, sweat, tears, and their life's work, right? And all we're talking about is, give us more. What else you got for us? Like, Lauren, Lauren already gave me some school and education. If she want to read a book, let her read, read a fucking book. You know, and that, like, that's where that motivation for that song came from, that let's appreciate our artists. And they've already given us so much, but we're clamoring to see them. But let's just appreciate where they are, where they are as opposed to where we think they should be. Uh, you spoke earlier about an artist's only responsibility is being honest to themselves, and that's something that uh, relates to what you just brought up. Actually, this is something that you talked about in the roundtable, too. Uh, why do you feel it's the responsibility to be honest above all else? Um, because that's what the fans want. The fans will tell you, we want you to do an album that sounds like this. We want you to work with this artist. We want you to do that. Do the sound that you had when, we, when you first came out. But when you listen to the fans, as soon as you do what they want, they abandon you and go to something else. What they want from you is for you to be honest. Well, there you have it. If you want to know more about Talib Kweli, you can go to thecomeupshow.com. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating or a comment. Same goes if you're listening on SoundCloud. We appreciate it. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Come Up Show. Once again, I'm Martin Bauman. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. 